0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly. Written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Today for episode three, I had the absolute privilege of sitting down with Kathleen Score. She is the founder of Christian Library International. We talked about how her dream to provide Christian books for people has led to a book ministry in 1,500 prisons in every state. Listen to what she has to say about the Bible studies they provide.
0: We have free correspondence Bible studies, and so when an inmate writes us, we connect them with the Bible study. So we will mail them a lesson, they fill it out and mail it back, and then it goes back and forth like that. We, Uh, Our volunteers have reviewed more than 10,000 Bible study lessons this year.
1: I have no doubt that as you listen to Kathleen's story, you will be encouraged that small steps of obedience along the way has significant impact on the kingdom of God. Hi, Kathleen. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. It's an honor to have you on the show.
0: Well, thanks, Amber. And and, uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you today, and we got to talk a little bit before the podcast, and I'm really glad to meet you and know that I have a a kindred spirit in Jesus Christ.
1: Yes, Kathleen, will you take a little bit of time and just introduce us to yourself, your family, and the Ministry of Christian Library International?
0: Sure. Well, my name is Kathleen Score and I am the founder and executive director of Christian Library International, which we are a prison ministry. And uh, sometimes it's hard to tell with our name, but uh, we might get into that a little bit later as to uh, how we named uh, the ministry Christian Library International. But I'm married. My husband's name is Anders. We have three children, three grown children, and nine grandchildren. And we uh, love living in Raleigh, North Carolina. We uh, attend Crossroads Fellowship, church, which we love, and just um, are happy to uh, to live in this great state of North Carolina.
1: It is so beautiful. We've been here just over two years, and I am more and more grateful every day to be in a state where there's different seasons and just beauty. Let's talk about Christian Library International. Let's go back to around, I think it started in 1996. Will you walk me through those early days of what led you to begin CLI?
0: Very simple, and it starts with my personal testimony because I grew up going to church, but I did not have a personal relationship with the Lord. And so when my husband and I moved to Raleigh, we joined a church more because, well, that's kind of the thing to do. But anyway, the women were going on a retreat, and so I went with the women of the church uh, for a retreat. Actually, this wasn't Crossroads at the time. Anyway, so the speaker said, if you have never invited Jesus into your life, you can pray now. And my first thought, having grown up in church, was, you know, I I don't need to do that, and I don't really know why she's kind of preaching to the choir. But even though intellectually I was thinking, no, the next moment the Holy Spirit moved my heart, I mean, I actually felt a movement of the Holy Spirit and I bowed my head and I prayed for Jesus to come into my life and my life changed pretty uh, dramatically. Not so much on the outside. I was married and had three children. This was 1995. But on the inside, I had such a thirst and desire to know God. I mean, I really wanted to know him and I wanted to know him for myself. And so in addition to reading the Bible, I started reading Christian books. And every time I had a question, Guy would bring just the right book at just the right time. And so I, it was just simply, I started thinking, wouldn't it be great if other people had the advantage of these books? Because, you know, they're expensive. And a lot of churches, you know, don't have church libraries. So I, you know, prayed about it and then I told my husband Anders and he suggested he said, Well, why don't you go down to the Y? We were members of the YMCA at that time. He said, Why don't you go down there and see if they'll let you put some books there? So I said, Okay, so I went over there and I don't know if you know anything about YMCA people, but they are so enthusiastic and so great. And they in fact the gentleman that I talked to, his name was Tony Sigmund. If you're listening, Tony, he, and he was like, "Wow, this is a great idea!" And, and he was actually more excited than I was. And he said, "Yeah, let's do it." So we started with um, 100 books at the Finley YMCA in Raleigh. They were mostly uh, our books and friends' books that we already had, and uh, we just started uh, loaning them out. And it went very well. People were very excited to be able to come in and borrow a book and bring it back. So that's that's how it started in in uh, 1996. Again, I was saved in March of 95. And then the ministry started in about June or July of 96.
1: Well, I can completely relate to that. Because first of all, I am a member of the Finley YMCA. So that's, you know, all these years later, it's still a great place to work out and meet friends. But also, God's word has been so instrumental in my own life, but the same thirst that you're talking about, that it seems like God will just bring the right book along to bring clarity to maybe something that you're facing, to part of God's word that you don't understand, has happened to me time and time again. So I know that sometimes even people who don't know Jesus, maybe they would pick up a Christian book, but they wouldn't pick up the Bible because it seems so intimidating.
0: Well, you know, that's right. And I have a, a couple of things that I wanted to mention about that. So the last thing you said was uh, somebody might be intimidated or they might not really want to, to read anything about God or Jesus. So there was an inmate. And we, know, we know this story because he wrote to us because we stamp our books that we send into the prisons. And I'm jumping ahead here as to how we got in the prisons. But at any rate, um, we stamp our books with our address so that inmates can write to us. So this one inmate, he wrote to us and he said that, that he was so sick and tired of everybody telling him what to do and how to do it. And he saw a book. It was one of our books that we had sent in. And the title of the book was How to Slay the Giants in Your Life. And so he said he picked up the book and he said, oh, here's somebody else just trying to tell me what to do and how to do it. And he was going to fling it across the room, and he said he couldn't; it just wouldn't let go. <laughs> so, so, since he couldn't really throw it, and of course we know that was the Lord keeping it in His hand. Absolutely, he at it again and started reading it, and ended up ending up uh, becoming a, a Christian by the time he finished reading the book. So, you know, God uses books in interesting, interesting ways. But the other thing I was going to say about that is just like God brings the right book at the right time for you and for me, he does that with the inmates we're serving all over the country. And it's it's amazing. So it's not just us, you know, thousands of men and women in prison are getting those books that they need just at the right time.
1: So amazing and something I definitely want to talk more about. Tell us about how long you've stayed in the YMCA and how that led you on in to the prisons.
0: Yeah, that was really simple and of course it's God um and we were talking about this earlier before uh you and I before we started the podcast but my husband and I call it our incremental calling And I think it's a matter of just being obedient to whatever step God tells you to take. So our first step of obedience was just to put the books in in the why. And then we went to other whys and nursing homes. And whoever had a need and they heard about us for Christian books, we would send them. So um, the ministry started in, again, as we said, 1996. So in 2002, we had some extra books. And we didn't know exactly what. To do with them? Because we had finite spaces at the Y's that we were serving or nursing homes. You know, there was just only so much space to put to put the books. And so we started thinking, well, where can we put them? Because we take, oh, and this is an important part, is we're able to take gently used Christian books and Bible. So if your listeners have any just on your shelves, you can send them to us and we'll send them out into the prison. So people had donated the books and we had some extra ones uh, and we didn't know exactly what we were going to do. We thought, well, let's see if prison chaplains could use them. Maybe they could use them in prison. And by that time, my husband had joined me in ministry in 2002. I I was doing it pretty much with uh, friends and volunteers. He started calling the chaplains, and every chaplain he called to see if they could use some pre-Christian books would tell him, you have no idea what an answer to prayer you are, because we don't have the resources. You know, it's separation of church and state. They don't have the resources to purchase them, and they're they're not making a lot of money, so they can't. You know buy them either so it was a real answer to prayer so that was certainly an encouragement everybody wants to be an answer to prayer we started sending them the books and that that went along really well and then um someone suggested it was actually someone on our board said well why don't you uh, label the books or you know stamp them or or put your name in them in some way so we can find out what's going on And we thought that was a great idea. And so the same thing is we started getting all these letters from inmates telling us how a book had helped them and what God was doing in their lives. And and it was, wow, that was really an encouragement. And, you know, taking those two things together, we decided that God was working in the prisons and we needed to join him there. And so that's when uh, it took us a, a little while. So about 2006, we decided that we were a prison ministry. That's where God wanted us to be. And so we pulled all our resources together and made it a definite strategy to go into the prisons.
1: I am so interested and intrigued First of all, that, you know, the way God leads, it it always interests me. The way it's just a step-by-step process. Very rarely does he just call you to the biggest thing. It's small steps of obedience along the way. But also, you said your husband started calling these prison chaplains. Was that a local endeavor first was that you know Raleigh area, North Carolina jails, or what did that look like?
0: It was local. We, um, in fact, the person, the chaplain, is um, Chaplain uh, Eldridge. So he was the very first chaplain that we called. In fact, he still. We still remind each other. He reminds us sometime, and we remind him sometime. And uh, he's he's still active. He's still a chaplain there at Polk and so uh, correctional center. He was the first one that we called, and um, Anders. Uh, it was kind of funny because Anders said, "Well, I'll bring some over," and cha- And Eldridge was laughed and said, No, you can't just come over here. (laughs) He said, I tell you what, he says, I'll come over to you. And so he did. He came to our home and picked out the books that he wanted and, and, and left. But since then, We do, uh, we ship them in because we're in like 1600 prisons. So uh, we can ship them in to the chaplain and he can receive them and pass them out. Uh, We couldn't just drive up to a prison or bring them in. And a a person can't just normally send in a book, rules and regulations, but we are approved by prisons so we can ship them in to the prisons, which is another good thing.
1: Yeah. So if I had a friend or a family member inside the prison, I wouldn't necessarily be able to just send them a Christian book? Or is it just somebody random can't send something in?
0: Well, first of all, each prison has, they have their own rules and regulations. But generally speaking, you could not send a book or a Bible even to someone you know. What you would have to do is go to a bookstore and have a third party mail it in. And that way it could it could get in. But even then, there's some rules and regulations that some of the... Um, really high security prisons, maximum security prisons, might not even allow that. Each person would have to check with the facility where they have a loved one in prison to see what the rules and regulations are.
1: Christian Library International is now in what I had read was 1,600 prisons in all 50 states? Yes. We're not in prison,
0: but we are in at least one prison.
1: In every state. Now, I wish we only had 1600 prisons total. How did it grow from just Raleigh to where you guys were getting yourselves, you know, across state lines across the country? Uh, was it something where slowly chaplains who knew other chaplains began reaching out or what did that look like?
0: Well, yeah, that, it was some of that, but it was definitely a strategic effort on our part. We felt this was what the Lord was calling us to do. And as we had kept getting more and more books, it's like, okay. And then the same thing with the prisons. They can't just take, you know, tons of books. They, they have a finite space also. So every time we get extra books, we'd start looking for other prisons. And to the point where we decided the the first step, major step that we took was to get a list of prison chaplains, and we sent out a postcard. Would you like free Christian books? And that's what really brought us the most uh, outreaches was through that mailing.
1: You all, I'm assuming, still get several letters from inmates. Do you have any specific stories? I know you shared one already, but is there anything else that comes to mind? Maybe a letter that just really encouraged you or a story that you could share with us? Sure. Um there's a
0: story, his name is Ryan and uh he's this is a story from Maine, a prison in Maine. So so Ryan is was a young man. He well he's still young. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't aged too much. But uh, he was uh, like nineteen and he was in um well, he's high on drugs and was incarcerated. And so this is a kind of a combination story of Ryan's story and a, cha- a chaplain who we partner with and why it's important for our partnership with the chaplains. Because, you know, you have one chaplain. He could be trying to minister to maybe upwards or two to 5,000 inmates, especially men, not necessarily the women's prisons are that large. But um, but at any rate for the men's prison. So it's, it's really hard for them to reach out. But if they have books and Bibles, it makes their job a lot easier. So anyways so the, the chaplain went by to see Ryan and he was really you know, high on drugs and he didn't really know what he could do for him. So finally, he just asked him, he said, well, would you take a Bible? And surprisingly, Ryan said yes. I I'd, I'd take a Bible. So he went back to his office, and it was one of our Bibles. So he he took it back, and he just left it there because again, he was really just he said just laid out on the floor. He was so high on drugs. So then uh, the chaplain wasn't able to get back to him for about a week or so, and or maybe two weeks. And so when he he got back. He couldn't believe it. He said, you know, Ryan was just sitting up on his bed and bright and alert. And uh, he kept saying, chaplain, you saved my, my life. You saved my life. And finally, the chaplain said, how did I save your life? And he says, the Bible that you brought me. He says, I have been reading it and reading it. And he said, um, I just know that it's truth and it's changed my life. And he said he had notes written scripture all over his bed. And so the chaplain, and so every time the chaplain would ask him a question about Jesus, he says, yes, I know. And then he'd read out the scripture. And finally, the chaplain said, well, Ryan, he says, you have the Bible here. Why have you written out all these scriptures? (laughs) He says, you have them right here in the Bible. And Ryan said, well, called him pastor. He said, well, pastor, this is a big book. And I'm afraid I can't remember where these scriptures are. So I thought that was sweet.
1: That's just one way,
0: you know, a Bible could be used to change someone's life.
1: Absolutely. And what better place than when you're stuck there and you have this opportunity to read and do other things, but it's kind of a captive audience. It is.
0: But there's one other thing, uh, Amber, that I did want to mention. Our ministry is really focused on discipleship. You know, we send out the books and Bibles, and that's great, and they really do help a lot of people. But we also do correspondence Bible studies, and this we developed later when we saw that there was a great need after somebody accepted Christ, is to help them learn the Bible, help them know how to walk in the Spirit and walk it with the Lord. So we have free correspondence Bible studies, and so when an inmate writes us, we connect them with the Bible study. So we will mail them a lesson, they fill it out and mail it back, and then it goes back and forth like that. We, uh, Our volunteers have reviewed more than 10,000 Bible study lessons this year alone. That's uh, another thing that if you have uh, listeners that would be moved by God is their ministry to review inmate Bible study lessons, we would uh, love to talk to them. And it's something they can do from home and we protect their identity so that their name would not just be let loose in a prison because not everybody in prison may be as devoted to the Lord as the person they're working with. And we wouldn't want their name to get out in the general population. We do protect them.
1: What an amazing ministry, because I think something that's even missing in our current Christian culture is the value of discipleship mm-hmm. and how so often we lead somebody to Jesus and that's not where it stops. It's a process of Not salvation, but it's a process of sanctification and particularly for someone who's never grown up with truth in their life and knowing how to live that. And so discipleship is key because if you get out of prison, if you walk out of a church, whatever, you know, your situation is, you're not just going to automatically know how to live unless some godly person comes alongside you and mentors you along the way. And the Holy Spirit is obviously able to do that, but he calls us to do it very clearly in his word. Tell me about that. Whoever is reviewing the study, do they after they review it, do they write back to the inmate and say, yes, these are correct or great insight? What does that process look like?
0: Well, we have an answer key on our website, which is cli.world, and we don't want to say that an answer is Wrong, we will say, but have you thought of this? And so we really want to encourage them in the truth without them feeling like they're in school and they're going to be graded and get, you know, wrong answers because many of them might have had bad experiences in school. So it's uh, an encouraging uh, way of teaching. But we also ask that our, we call them Bible ministers because they're ministering the Bible, that they can write uh, an encouraging note and, uh, you know, when when they send back their lesson. And we've had inmates say that they, of course, they love the correspondence study and it really helps them. And a lot of inmates will say that it means so much to, to know that somebody on the outside cares. And that's a very consistent thing that we hear. For some reason, I think that when someone, does turn their life over to Christ and they're in prison, or maybe even if they they haven't made that decision yet, they feel that they're really lost and forgotten. They're kind of, one inmate said that we're throwaway people, that, you know, they're behind bars and that's it. You know, their life is over. So when somebody, again, on the outside cares enough to write or to send them a book, or it, it makes them realize that they're not forgotten and that, that God does have a good plan for their life.
1: And so those Bible ministers, they do maintain that relationship back and forth. It's not just I'm gonna, you know, check off your answers, but instead we're gonna communicate over this lesson a little bit. Is that correct?
0: Yes, and that uh, and that does mean, yeah, a lot to the inmates that we serve. So anyway, so the the di- discipleship is the end goal, and when we want the men and women in prison to be discipling others where they are, because they're there twenty 24- four seven. And people are looking at them, you know, other inmates to see if they're really going to live the life. And, you know, we get letters like that. We've had men and women who have accepted Christ by watching someone who's truly born again, not just, you know, jailhouse conversion, so to speak, but those who are truly walking the life, they're able to walk away from fights. They're able to, you know, not engage in homosexuality or things that we know are very prevalent in prison culture, but that the true born again believer is, is helping those around him and not engaging in, in that kind of uh, behavior.
1: Well, so let's shift gears a little bit and tell me about your volunteer teams and what do they do to give life to Christian Library International's ministry?
0: Wow. Well, they do a a lot of things. Uh, Locally, we have um, volunteers who will come in and stamp because every book has to have our address in it. So that's, that's a lot of work to stamp every book. So they come in and stamp and pack. The books need to be packed up and shipped out. Then we have a lot of administrative type work because we have lots of mail coming in. The, the lessons, everything comes through here first before it's sent out to the Bible minister, so it has to be connected. So we have people who open the mail, who match up the inmates with the Bible minister, and data entry, phone calls. So those are those are all kind of things that are that are locally, and of course collecting books. Um, you know, book, churches can do book drives, folks can do book drives because we're always in need of books and. Then long distance, the main thing would be writing letters and doing the Bible studies.
1: And so if someone wanted to sign up to do any of those things, will you give us the information, uh, your website, your address? I will obviously put these things in the show notes as well. But some of our listeners will be certainly curious about how they can learn more about CLI and get in contact with your ministry.
0: Uh, yes, I think the the best way would be to go to our website, CLI as in Christian Library International, cli.world, W-O-R-L-D. That would be the best place to go because there is a form if they want to volunteer that they can fill out or it will have uh, our address and phone number. And if they want more information, they certainly can call us. We would love for them to, to call us. But I think the best way is through the website.
1: And then as Christian Library International, are you guys on all the social media feeds, um, Facebook, Instagram?
0: Yes, we are on Facebook and Instagram. And we do have a Twitter account, although the Twitter account's been a little, uh, we have been Girl, I can't even
1: do Twitter. It's so stressful to me. I, I cannot do it. So, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people who do, but I'm assuming those social media outlets are under CLI. Yes, they are. We close the show with a couple of questions that we ask of everybody. So I'm going to ask you, um, besides salvation, what is an area or situation in your life where you have experienced or had to cling to God's grace?
0: I think, I mean, there's plenty of times I have to cling to God and, and be dependent on him. But I think when we first started off, it was really interesting. We were in a large house. We had a large mortgage, and so when my husband joined me in ministry in 2002, we had run the ministry out of the house, and we had a large basement, so that's where I actually ran the ministry. After a year of prayer, we decided that Anders, my husband, would join me in ministry. We thought, well, you know what? We'll just put the house up for sale, and it will sell, and that's that because, you know, we're going into full-time ministry, so that'll work. We had no income at that point, And the house didn't sell right away like we expected God to sell it. And so we went through our savings account. We went through our retirement fund. But still, after a year and a half and everything we had done, the house hadn't sold. And I told Anders, we're coming up on the, you know, the first of the month at that point. And I said, we owe $5,000 in bills and we don't have it. You know, that year and a half I had done everything kind of moving. here. You know how it is. You just do everything possible, sell, whatever. And, and still, you know, we didn't have it. And so... We prayed, and for the first time in a year and a half, I I did have some peace, and it's like I said to God, I said, you know, I can't do anything anymore. I have, there's nothing I can do, and I said, Lord, you own everything, cattle on a thousand hills, so I just kind of, for the first time, really gave it up to him, and so I went into the sunroom after we had prayed, and the phone rang. A young woman that we knew, she had no idea what we were going through. I mean, because, you know, you don't go around say, hey, they're going to repossess our house. We're going into full-time ministry. So how does that look? You know, you're kind of embarrassed about it. So she said, I have some books for you. And I said, sure, come on up. She said she was on our street. She came up and she gave us the books, because remember, we take donated books. And then she handed me an envelope and she said, the Lord put you on my heart and he wanted you to have this. And she left. And when I opened the envelope, it was a cashier's check for $5,000. It was just the amount that we needed. Wow. And, And I do have to say this. I'm not a very... Emotional person, you know, God's gifted me in uh, kind of administration and and leadership and and those types of gifting. So I'm not not that not that somebody couldn't be emotional with those. No, I understand. But anyway, I just burst into tears because it was like God's liquid love just kind of pouring over me, and I felt Him saying, "You know, I'm going to take care of you in this ministry, and it won't be your husband's salary." It won't be the sale of a big house. It will come from me. And I've tried to live by that. I'm not saying that I don't get fearful and I don't worry because I'm human and, uh, you know, I have my moments and still things will happen that I get concerned about. But I always go back to that early lesson that it's about God providing. It's not about us.
1: That is a perfect story of relying on God's grace because his grace is his unmerited favor. And oftentimes he can't pour that unmerited favor out onto us unless we're empty because we're so tight-fisted and hanging on to our belongings. So thank you for sharing that. Is there anything right now in your life or at a season in your life where you feel like you need to pour out God's grace more?
0: I'm not sure I understand the question how How could I pour out god's
1: grace? where you need to extend grace to others would be a better question.
0: Yes, that's a good question
1: <laughs> put you on the spot and doesn't it
0: I, I, well, it does, and I think for me because I am a type A personality, that's how God has gifted me is i go, go and do do um, but I mean, I feel like I'm doing what God's called me to do, but think that I should be able to extend God's grace to those who are not type A and do not like they have to go, go and do, do all the time. So that's, I think, where I I should extend grace more because God calls us differently. And um,
1: yeah, and he equips us differently. And I can relate to that feeling of why are you just sitting over there doing nothing when I've learned sometimes people their true ministry is just on their knees. And it's like, the unseen ministry that oftentimes we just, we have no idea what's going on.
0: Right. And I do. And and that is one thing though, that prayer has always been a big part of our ministry from day one, because that is one thing that we do know. And that is, it is God's grace, God working through us. I mean, we, we cannot do anything without him. I mean, nothing. And I truly believe that.
1: Well, Kathleen, while we finish up here, can you tell us real quick three ways that our listeners could help out at CLI? I know you said donating books is one. Give us two more.
0: Well, volunteering, that is uh, reviewing the Bible study lessons or, you know, coming into the office if you are enrolled. Yeah. I mean, certainly if you want to drive farther, but, you know, we understand that generally coming into the office for people that live close by. And, you know, partnering financially, we can certainly, um, I mean, it takes a lot to mail out and ship out the Bibles and the, the uh, Bible studies.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. We will definitely um, link Christian Library International and all of their social media outlets on our show. And it's been a pleasure having you.
0: Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it, Amber. And Appreciate the opportunity to meet and and talk with your audience.
1: If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Grace Enough Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Next week, Grace Enough will be releasing two episodes on Tuesday and Thursday.
0: Thank you for listening
1: to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.